Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back. This is the Judgment Call Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. If you're listening to this, fall asleep. I hope you're having a great one, whatever you're doing. Thank you for tuning in again. This is Miles, as always. And I am so excited to do this podcast today because we just had a excellent slate of football this past Saturday. I just got done watching the Seahawks and the 49ers play. That was the best Monday night football game of the year. Finally, we got a good one. We haven't had a good one since the Lions and the Packers played. All the rest of them have been terrible. Not going to talk about that today. I'll probably talk about that sometime later this week. But the slate that I have for us today, we are going to talk about the Penn State versus Minnesota game. And then we're going to talk about the Alabama LSU game. Oh, man, these are two fantastic games that we got to watch this Saturday. If you didn't get to watch them, I'll fill you in on how they went. I'll fill you, on, fill you in on why they went the, the way that they did. They were both fantastic games. If you missed it, I hope you recorded them. I hope you can watch them anywhere because college football games are so hard to find. Uh, NFL games, you can just go on NFL 22 and watch all the film, get all the film you need. College football games are really hard to find. So if you don't watch them live, I feel bad for you. You missed out on two fantastic games. But before we get into both of these games, I just want to talk, say this piece about Cassius Winston and what happened to his brother. So in case you don't know who Cassius Winston is, he is the point guard for the Michigan State Spartans. Uh, they believe they're ranked number two before they lost to Duke in the season opener. Very good team. But uh, I believe it was like Saturday or Sunday, uh, we got the notification from ESPN and Bleacher Report that his brother was struck by a train and that he died uh, a day before he had a game. I believe they had a game either today, um, Tuesday, November 11th, or yesterday. I mean, Monday, November 11th, excuse me, or Sunday, November 10th, I believe was when they had the game. And what he came out with today, and he said on his Instagram, I won't read it all. It's a very long paragraph. I'll probably get a motion to reading it. Uh, I'll let you go look at his Instagram, read it for yourself. But what happened is his brother actually committed suicide. He did not accidentally get struck by a train. And this hurts because Cassius Winston is a great dude. I don't know if you've ever listened to him, watched his interviews or anything like that. He's a fantastic leader. The entire Michigan State team completely rallies around this guy. They love this guy. And it seemed like his brother was his best friend it seemed like they were inseparable seemed like no matter what you could always find them together it seemed like they were extremely close and this hurts because throughout the heartfelt post he put on instagram he talked about how he'd been there for his brother and how he'd helped him through these tough times and that he really hates that he wasn't able to do enough and i'm saying all this to say please reach out to your loved ones Please tell all your loved ones that you love them, that you're there for them. Please be there for them. If you are struggling, please reach out to your loved ones and let them know that you do need help. Let them know that you can confide in them. Please don't ever believe that you're going through this alone. You're not. You have people there for you. You have people who love you. You have people who want to love you. You have people who want to be there for you. 
And this this really broke my heart. This was a very sad story. I really feel for Cassius Winston and his family. My prayers go out to them, and I hope they can get through this very, very tough time. And if you are struggling, please go get help. Please, 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 please talk to your family members. Talk to your friends. Talk to whoever you feel comfortable talking to. Because this absolutely, absolutely, absolutely broke my heart. And uh, I do believe that when I talk about a subject like this, I am legally required to give out the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So if you are struggling and you do need help and you do feel like you have no one to talk to, please call 1-800-273-8255. Again, that is 1-800-273-8255. That is the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. I won't harp on this any longer, but I did feel like I had to talk about that piece because that absolutely, absolutely broke me this weekend. All right. So from that, we're going to go ahead and hop right into the Penn State, Minnesota football game. If you missed this one, because I mean, I understand it's Minnesota. They were ranked 17th by the committee, even though they were undefeated. The committee felt like they hadn't done enough just because of their strength of schedule. Even though it is impressive to be undefeated nine weeks into the season, the committee felt. And we'll see how they do when they finally play somebody in. I'll give the benefit of the doubt. They did play Rutgers, Nebraska, Illinois, almost lost to Purdue and Georgia Southern, came very close to losing to Fresno State. I understand why the committee was hesitant to rank them higher than 17th. I do understand. But after this weekend, you have to put some respect on Minnesota's name. There is no other option but to believe in Minnesota. I don't care what the rest of their schedule has looked like. For the past five games, they have dominated Illinois, Nebraska, Rutgers, Maryland, and now Penn State, regardless of it being a five-point game, Minnesota dominated Penn State. It until the last quarter, it honestly, it didn't look close. Like in every category, Minnesota just looked better. Even though it was close at the beginning, they just completely outplayed them on every pay. You could tell that. Minnesota was going hard. They did not give up. They finished every block. They finished every tackle. They did not stop until the whistle was blown. And it was fantastic. Now, Minnesota did just get P.J. Fleck, former Western Michigan coach, who was a champion at Western Michigan. This is looking to be a fantastic hire for Minnesota. The team looks completely revamped from what they did since 2016. Minnesota used to be a team that you could write off on your schedule in the Big Ten. They used to be like Rutgers. It'd be like, eh, if we just go in and play our hardest, we'll probably beat them by 30. This is not that same Minnesota team. P.J. Fleck has completely overhauled the program, and I respect him tremendously for doing that. He's doing a great job. The team looks so well coached. Like, the little things... The tackling, the discipline, how they react to plays and how they react to each other on the sidelines. Even if someone does make tackles, hey, let's go out there and get it next time. Even if someone does blow an assignment, hey, don't worry about it. We'll get him next time. 
This is a well-coached team. This team is a well-oiled machine. And they did a lot of things very well. Penn State took a lot of chances in this game. And for teams that are like Penn State, teams that are ranked very high, they tend to do this a lot where they're like, hey, if we can't get this uh, fourth and goal in the first quarter, who are we? M Michigan is a team that tends to do this a lot. They'll go for it on fourth and one past the 50. And it's like, hey, we can get this first down because we're Michigan. They can't stop us. This is what Penn State did a lot. Penn State in this game took a lot of chances. They're like, hey, we're Penn State. We can get this first down because we're Penn State. They can't stop us. And Minnesota did. They stopped them on a huge fourth and goal that would have that they uh, Penn State should have taken their points, but it was a huge defensive stop for Minnesota. They did the exact same thing at the end of the first half. That's two fourth and goal goal line stops. They did a fantastic job. This team is so well disciplined. That is one thing that absolutely jumps out at you when you watch this team play. Now you know the NBA is where amazing happens. That is their slogan. College football is where anything can happen. This absolutely shakes up the college football playoff. It was perceived that this ranking the way it was, having Penn State in it four instead of Clemson in it four, is because Penn State and Ohio State have to play each other this weekend. And then that would decide how the rest of the playoff picture would shake out. But no. Penn State is already out of the top four, and assuming that Ohio State doesn't lose to Penn State or Michigan or in the Big Ten Championship, this Penn State team is not getting into the playoff. And this Minnesota team has absolutely shaken things up. And you have to commend P.J. Fleck for how he has coached this team. And not only that... Man, these are this is this Minnesota team is not full of five stars. This is barely a team with some four stars on it, and these guys are showing up to play. Coming into this game, Penn State was only allowing nine point six points per game. Not even ten, almost ten points per game is what they were allowing on the season. Minnesota hung thirty one on them. And part of it is because of excellent play from their quarterback, Tanner Morgan. But a lot of it, I attribute that to the defense putting them in excellent positions to score because they were fantastic. Antoine Whit Winfield was all over the field. He was fantastic. There is a reason he's one of the leaders in interceptions this season. He is an excellent defensive back. He was everywhere. There's a saying where you know you're playing good when you don't hear your name called by the announcer. Well, this kid was getting his name called all day and for great reason. He broke the heck out of that stigma. He was fantastic. He was all over the field. He was making plays for four quarters straight. And it's crazy because Minnesota has never had a team like this. This is... This is what happens when you have an excellent coach and a team that buys into the culture he brings into the program. You don't always have to have five-star recruits at every position. You don't have to have the highest-paid coaching staff in the NCAA. 
You need a good coach who knows what he's doing and who knows how to talk and coach up college athletes. And those kids have to buy into his system. That is how you get a team like Minnesota who takes down Penn State. And on another note, while I'm still talking about Minnesota, Rashad Bateman was fantastic. Not only did he absolutely go off this game, he had seven receptions for 203 yards and a touchdown. Five of his catches were for 23 or more yards. That is absurd. He, he's he gone under the radar on his team as his teammate, uh, not, not Tyler Morgan, that's the quarterback. Uh, his teammate, excuse me, his teammate Ty Johnson, Tyler Johnson, is the one that's a senior and is more NFL ready. And NFL exerts are looking at him to be the next guy out of Minnesota. Rashad Bateman is a sophomore. He has another year with this team. He has another year with P.J. Fleck. He has another year to develop. And he has looked fantastic all season. Luckily, Tanner Morgan, the quarterback, is also a sophomore. So he gets another year of reps, another offseason of reps, another year to develop with this quarterback. And I believe next year, this is a duo to look out for to be just as fantastic. They played great. Tanner Morgan was elite. It's just, this is a great team. This is a greatly coached team, and they displayed all of that this past Saturday against Penn State. And more incredibly, both teams were coming off a bye. Neither team had a significant advantage. You would think that Penn State, being the more elite program with the better recruits and the more coveted head coach, would have had the advantage, but no. No, no. Both teams were coming off a bye. Both teams had an equal amount to prepare. And Penn State was just out-hustled. They were outplayed. They made Sean Clifford uncomfortable. They picked him off three times. He was inefficient, had 20 incompletions. Tanner Morgan was 18 of 20, only two incompletions on the game, 339 yards. It was an absolute dominating performance by Minnesota, even though I will give Sean Clifford credit. Uh, In the two-minute drill, he looked good until he threw that interception. Up until that point, he did look very good in a two-minute drill. That's why I believed when I did talk about this game a few weeks ago that I believed Penn State would come out with the win because I believed in Sean Clifford. I believed in his ability to make plays, and I believed in James Franklin to put him in position to succeed. But, man, did I underrate P.J. Fleck. One of the things P.J. Fleck says the most is the ball is the program. I love that. I love that saying. He's telling his guys that without the ball, there is no football program. What we want more than anything is the ball. And we want to put that ball in the end zone and we want to take the ball away from the other team. That is a fantastic philosophy and the team has completely bought into that. Good job for P.J. Fleck and fantastic job for Minnesota. One last thing before I move on to the Alabama LSU game. Uh, Penn State's tight end. I have... No clue how to pronounce his name, so forgive me if I absolutely slaughter it. Pat Fryermuth. He's going to be in the NFL one day. This kid is fantastic. Uh, I have no clue where he was recruited out of, but he's a sophomore, so he has another year in his offense. The kid is 6'5", 250. He's solid. He is fantastic. He's huge. He is a safety valve for Sean Clifford, and even though they lost the game, 
he was great. Seven receptions for 101 yards. Yeah, KJ Hamler did have seven receptions, 119 yards. But what do you expect from a guy that runs a 4-3 at 5-8? He's elusive as heck. But Pat Fryermuth is fantastic. He's going to be playing in the NFL on Sundays. You can just tell that from the way he played. He just jumps out at you no matter what. He does remind me a lot of Gronkowski, minus of the blocking. Everywhere else, contested catches, getting down the field, making making defenders miss on his route running. He is a great route runner for his size. He's good. I like the kid. Now, we are going to move on to the headlining game of the afternoon. LSU at Tuscaloosa taking on Alabama. Now, people had completely written off LSU for some reason. I don't know why people were talking about LSU like Bama was some juggernaut that just couldn't be beaten and that they'd beaten every top 10 team in the nation before heading to play LSU. Dude, they're beating South Carolina and Texas A&M. I don't know why people were acting like this is the same Bama team from last year. It's not... They have multiple injuries on the defensive end. This is not the same offense. This is not the same defensive line. They do not generate the same kind of disruption. This is not that same Alabama team. You cannot give teams the benefit of the doubt anymore. They have to play their way into earning this respect. And LSU proved that you have to play your way to earn respect. You can no longer give teams benefit of the doubt. This loss is going to hurt Alabama. Not just because they lost and they've been beating LSU for eight straight years. Yeah, that part will hurt. But it's going to hurt because their chances of getting into the college football playoff now are slim to none. They get to play an Auburn team that by the time they play them and beat them, they could have four losses. And that won't look good look good when the committee's talking about who the best one-loss team in the nation is. This just does not bode well for Alabama. Alabama had to come out this game and make a statement, and they didn't. But this game was absolutely fantastic if you just like watching fantastic football being played. LSU did everything the exact way they needed to to pull out a victory at Tuscaloosa. The way the score was at halftime, you would have thought that this game was in Death Valley. You would have thought LSU was the home team. No, LSU executed perfectly on everything they sought out to do. They capitalized on Bama's mistake. Bama had two fumbles in the first quarter, capitalized, scored off both of them. They had an interception that was offset by 12 men on the field. The play immediately after, they scored another touchdown. That's 21 points off of Bama's mistakes. They capitalized on all of them. Fantastic. They also made Bama make those mistakes. When Joe Burrow noticed there was a man running onto the field and someone trying to get off, immediately snapped. They caught them on their mistakes. They caught them slipping. Great job. They took the crowd out of the game early. One thing you don't want to do on the road, especially on a team like against a team like Alabama, you don't want the crowd to get into the game. You don't want the crowd to throw you off. You don't want the crowd to make your cadence wrong. You don't want the crowd to make you draw a delay of games, miss assignments, have your defensive talking get messed up. You don't want any of that to happen. 
LSU took the soul out of the crowd within the first 10 minutes. And then on top of that, Marcel Brooks, the true freshman, stepped up to replace the senior Michael Divinity, who just was stepping step who just stepped away from the team due to personal reasons. This LSU team went out there and did everything they needed to to capitalize and win this game and say, we are for real. Not only did Marcel Brooks steps up, the entire LSU defense was aggressive and they were incredible. They made Tua uncomfortable for four straight quarters. First half, relentless. Second half, they didn't let up. I don't know what Ed Orgeron went in there and told him in that Cajun accent, but he probably told them to keep that fire under Tua for the rest of the game. Make him feel it once he's on the bus heading back to the dorms. That's probably what he told him. And they did. They got after him for four quarters straight. And good on them. And beyond the defense, Joe Burrow had his Heisman moment. Every Heisman candidate who has been the front runner has hired their Heisman moment. RG3 did it. Lamar Jackson did it. Derrick Henry did it. Trent Richardson did it. Mark Ingram did it. Everyone has their Heisman moment. Joe Burrow, in debatably the biggest game of his career, finished 31 of 39. That's 74%. He completed 74% of his passes, throwing 393 yards and three touchdowns. Let that sink in. Throwing almost 400 yards. And three touchdowns, he completed 74% of his passes. He also averaged about a first down for every pass. He averaged 10 yards per pass. That is fantastic. Joe Burrow is a guy who last year no one even took serious as a quarterback prospect. He was basically A.J. McCarron. Professional A.J. McCarron, not college A.J. McCarron. He, no one took him serious as a quarterback. They're just like, eh, he's just a guy that LSU took from Ohio State. It was just like, eh, he's Ohio State's leftover. He's not really anything. Even LSU fans were like, ah, he's nothing special. Joe Burrow this offseason went and put in the work. He looked fantastic this game. He made some incredible throws and plays. Oh, my goodness. Everyone was raving over that catch by Randy Moss's son, Thaddeus Moss on the sideline. Do you know how perfect that throw had to be in order for him to make that catch? The throw was about five yards out of bounds. He already knew what shoulder he had to put the ball on, and he put it on the money. That was an excellent catch by Thaddeus Moss. Don't get me wrong, but that play is not possible without the perfect throw by Joe Burrow. You know, in the NFL, they can show you the percentage of the likelihood of the receiver catching the ball and that the throw is to get there, I would love to see the numbers on that because there's no way there was more than a 5% chance that exact scenario happens. And also, one thing I will give Joe Burrow credit for, he did not shy away from the big moment at all. He made big play and big throw after big run. He was fantastic. 
you couldn't tell him anything. And it's not like this just happened in the clutch either. At halftime, he only had two incompletions. Two. And one of them was on a no-call pass interference. Trayvon Diggs had Jamar Chase hemmed up in a headlock, and they just didn't call the pass interference. That was one of his two incompletions. The other, he tried to fit it into a tight window, just didn't get it. Still have to appreciate him trying to get it in there. Wasn't intercepted, low-risk throw. The kid is clutch. The kid is good. He had his Heisman moment. Right now, he should be everyone's Heisman frontrunner. And on top of that, while we're speaking about Joe Burrow, you cannot mention Joe Burrow without mentioning the other Joe for LSU. Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator for LSU, has been an absolute blessing for this team. LSU, the entire state of Louisiana, the assistant director for Louisiana State University, needs to personally thank Joe Brady. And LSU better pray he does not leave for the NFL because I know his phone has been ringing nonstop since the end of that game. His play calling was fantastic. The wrinkles and tendencies, they completely threw Alabama off the entire game. Nick Saban had no answer for the offensive game plan of LSU. And I know NFL teams and execs are absolutely salivating over the chance to get Joe Brady. And I know LSU wants to keep him so badly. And they better hope, because you see how it worked out for Clemson, keeping their entire staff together. That exact same thing could happen for LSU if they're able to keep Joe Brady. And now, I... I didn't even want to make this section. This is my players of the game for LSU. The players who really made it happen. I didn't even want to make this section because there were so many people that did it. It was just, it was a complete team win. The entire defensive line, the entire linebacking core, all of the safeties, even Derek Stingley, who got burnt twice. He played a good game for the most part. But you still have to mention a few select players. One, I'm going to start with that most obvious one, Joe Burrow. Quarterback of the team, stepped up, led the team, did a fantastic job. Made no mistakes. Marcel Brooks, true freshman, stepped up in place of the senior Michael Divinity, took his spot and played perfect. He did exactly what he needed to do. He looked good, even got a pressure on Tua Tagovailoa that led to a crucial three and out. It was great. He played fantastic. Also, another guy who was all over the field. You will be hearing his name on Sundays. K. LaVon Chason, the edge rusher for LSU, was everywhere. I could not think of a play where I didn't see him at least on the finishing pile. He was everywhere. He was getting after Tua. He was beating the tackles at will. And the thing is, he's not a defensive end. He's a 6'4 linebacker. He is a true edge rusher. He was fantastic. All credit goes to, goes to him and the pressure he put on that team. And he wasn't only lethal in the pass game. He was great at stopping the run. He had about four tackles for loss, at least from what I've seen. At least four times he was in the backfield stopping the, game, stopping the run game. He was fantastic. 
And this might be the biggest one of them all for me. Right, It's right up there with Joe Burrow. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the running back for LSU. He proved that he it was in every down back, and you could use him in every single facet of the game. He had 20 carries for 103 yards and three touchdowns. And these, these were hard runs. These were fantastic runs. He was running people over. He was getting through contact and just pushing through it. Average five yards per carry against an Alabama defense that has been coveted for years for consistently being one of the best in the nation. Treated them like they were Wofford. Treated him like they were one stars. And not only was he lethal in the run game, he was so effective in the pass game. He was so crucial to their win- to them winning in the pass game. Six receptions for 77 yards. One touchdown. Fantastic game. That rounds up to 180 yards of total offense and four touchdowns for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He had a fantastic game, shared an excellent moment with his father after the game, and I give him a round of applause because he has faced so much criticism for being undersized, being a three-star recruit, saying that he was not good enough. He went out there and proved that he could do it. Great for him. And then one more singular person. Actually, I have three more because this team was fantastic. There were so many people. If you, Helmet stickers are being slapped around this, this next practice. Shoot, next film room. Next time somebody sees a helmet, helmet stickers are flying. Christian Fulton was a lockdown corner. He was only targeted twice, and it was for good reason, because nothing was flying over there. This kid is fantastic. There's the only other corner in the nation that I know for fact is better than Christian Fulton is Jeff Okuda out of Ohio State. That's it. There is a very short list of people who can lock down a receiver like this kid, and the only person I know who can is Jeff Okuda. These are the two best corners in the nation. Good job for Christian Fulton. And then the entire wide receiver corps for LSU was fantastic. Jamar Chase is an absolute weapon. Justin Jefferson was fantastic. The entire team was great. Thaddeus Moss made that huge catch that set up a touchdown. Terrence Marshall scored that touchdown on the broken coverage. It was great. They all played fantastic. I just, I and then Patrick Queen, the linebacker, was fantastic. He had the interception on Tua before halftime that set up the score. And it was an absolute strike by Joe Burrow that had that touchdown to go. It was fantastic. And then Cordell Flott, the safety was fantastic. This team played great. Congrats to LSU and Ed Orgeron. Like he said, they're coming. They don't want to stop there. They didn't just want to end the streak of losing to Bama. They're coming. This is why I said LSU was my number one team. They have been battle-tested, and this win against Bama proves that they are the real deal. Now, for Bama, they are more than likely done. This game, no matter the score, I don't care that it was a five-point loss. 
if you actually looked at the game, they were dominated for all but about four quarters. Man, maybe three and a half. They finally got their run game going in the second quarter. Not second quarter, in the second half. At about halfway through the third quarter, they finally got their run game going, scored, got a little bit of steam, fought back, still wasn't enough because LSU answered every time they did. For the most part, Bama was sloppy. They started off the game horribly. A fumble by Tua, which I don't even know how the ball slipped out. It looked like when Jameis Winston had the ball slip out in the 2015 college football, not college football, played in the 2015 championship against Oregon. And then they had the botched punt where the guy couldn't hold on to it. The punt, the punt snap was fine. He just couldn't hold on to it. Gave LSU fantastic field position. And then the only turnover, or the only interception, rather, that Bama would have had was erased off the board because of a 12-men-on-the-field call, and LSU subsequently scored. And then there was also a bad offsides on third down that gave LSU another chance to score, got a field goal out of it. This team did not come out prepared. And the crazy part is, it was off of a bye. They had an extra week to prepare for LSU. Everything was set up for Bama to win this game. And they didn't. They looked sloppy. There were broken coverages. Tua didn't look good on timing routes, which I'll give him the benefit of the doubt but because of his ankle injury, he probably didn't get very many reps with the ones, if any. But there were missed extra points. It was bad. He even Tua threw a bad interception that led to another touchdown before halftime. That has nothing to do with his ankle. That was just a bad read. He stared the safety down the entire... Actually, no, it was the linebacker. Patrick. It was Patrick Queen who got the interception. He stared him down the entire time. Did a very poor job of looking him off and delivering a strike. I believe it was Jerry Judy coming across the middle. It just... It didn't look fantastic. And on top of that, Bama could not stop LSU. This is why I said LSU should and would win the game a few weeks ago. Because I had concerns about Texas A&M scoring 28 on their defense and Ole Miss scoring 31 and South Carolina scoring 23. These are not, this is not what happens to an elite defense. Ohio State has been putting up 73 points on teams and not allowing more than seven points. This is not an elite defense. This is not the Bama of old. Allowing 28 points to a bad Texas A&M team is not going to cut it. And on top of that, Trayvon Diggs was absolutely abused by, uh, not Lamar, by Jamar Chase. Good on Jamar because he looked fantastic running all of his routes, but even on go routes, he could not stop anything. The fantastic catch by Randy Moss's son was on Trayvon Diggs. Trevon Diggs was holding on game. I'm surprised they didn't call it more often. He could not keep his hands to himself. Man, his draft stock after this game plummets because he finally faced some true NFL talent at the wide receiver position, and he folded. Origami style. 
I wish I could say I feel bad for him, but I don't. Not just Trayvon Diggs, but the entire team. They had an extra week to prepare. They've been coveted as this unbeatable juggernaut that we'd get this incredible Clemson-Alabama rematch part four, and they folded. I mean, it wasn't all bad for Bama, though. Their wide receiver core looked fantastic. I see why people are saying Jerry Judy might be a number one overall pick at a wide receiver. It's one thing to watch him play against teams that aren't this caliber, but Jerry Judy is one of the better route runners I've seen out of college football in a while. Stephon Diggs, when he played at Maryland, was a fantastic route runner. He's probably the best route runner I've seen since him. Of course, there have been some fantastic route runners over the years, but since Stephon Diggs was playing in, what was it, 2015 in Maryland? Yeah, this, this is the best route runner I've seen since Stephon Diggs. And Stephon Diggs was surgical. Devonta Smith was fantastic. He, uh, he beat Derek Stingley about three times. Henry Ruggs was great. Jalen Waddle had that fantastic punt return and still looked good. I believe he only had about two receptions, but he is the butt end of that fantastic receiving core. All four of them will be playing on Sundays eventually, so it's not all bad for them. Maybe they'll get another year out of Judy, should he stay. I don't think he should, and I don't think he will. But you never know. It could happen. They could want another go at it. They could want their revenge. You never know. But... Unfortunately, they were not able to come out victorious with this team. And one thing before I move on to this next part that I found extremely, extremely impressive. Coach Ed Orgeron for the LSU Tigers said that he didn't study the film of any of the teams that they played this year. Instead, he went to go study the film of the Clemson-Alabama game. I'm not sure how many teams would have done that. I honestly don't. I don't know how many coaches would have done that. I'm pretty sure a lot of coaches would have looked at their tendencies from this year. They would have looked at how they've played against teams that they've been dominating, that they probably didn't open the playbook all the way up against. Ed Orgeron made a very calculated risk. Not even It wasn't even a risk. He made a very bright, calculated decision to study the team that beat them and dominated them in the championship game. Good for him. Good for LSU. Fantastic win in a fantastic football game. Now, because of Alabama losing, they were in the top four. Now, what does this mean? People were sure that if if LSU lost, they would easily be the best one-loss team in the nation. They'd have three top 10 wins at the time when Texas was ranked. I'm not sure if that'd be devalued or not, but they could probably have made the made the college football playoff as one of the best one-loss teams in the nation. I wouldn't think it was far-fetched. Better than Georgia, Oregon. Better than Utah. Better than Oklahoma. But now that Alabama's lost, they have no chance of making it into their conference championship unless LSU somehow loses they can't be a conference champion they can't get on that tip they have to hope LSU loses so now the top three is solidified we have LSU Ohio State and Clemson that is a solidified top three for now Ohio State does have to play Penn State but after what happened with Minnesota I do believe that Ohio State will take very good care of this Penn State team 
Like, it might not even be close. But now, we have to worry about who this fourth team is going to be. I do believe that Penn State is going to drop out of the top ten completely. And for now, I have Georgia moving up one spot and being the fourth team in the college football playoff. Now, this probably won't be permanent. More than likely, it won't be permanent at all because if Georgia should run the table, they will have to play LSU in the conference championship. And I, uh, Georgia's strength of schedule is pretty good. They've got some pretty good wins on their resume, and they have to play Auburn this weekend. They just played Florida about two weeks ago. They beat Notre Dame earlier in the season when they were still a top-10 team. So their strength of schedule is good. And even if they do make it to beat LSU, they could get in as a one-loss team. And I do still believe that LSU would be the best one-loss team. But that does leave Alabama outside the top four. This could be the very first year since the introduction of the college football playoff that we have one without Alabama. And I'm not necessarily opposed to that. But since the rankings will come out tomorrow, I will give you my full top 10. Number one, LSU is now the number one undisputed team in the nation, regardless of Ohio State's dominance. But since we're talking about them, Ohio State is definitely the number two team in the nation. Easily. And then coming at number three, no surprise here, we have Clemson. This is the reason they were ranked outside of the top five, because something like this could happen. And Clemson would easily just fall into the top four. They basically walked into the college football playoff. And at number four, I have Georgia. They are currently number six in the rankings, I think. And because of the two losses that just happened, they are going to be in the top four. Number five, I have Oregon right behind them. Shouldn't surprise anybody. And at number six, I have something that has never happened in college football playoff history. I have Minnesota jumping all the way from 17 to number six in the polls. It's absolutely unprecedented that a team would ever jump that high. The highest we've ever seen a T jump is six spots. And I think that was three or four years ago. I have Minnesota as my number six team in the nation. And this could easily rise because they have to play Iowa next week. And the week after that, they have to play Wisconsin. Then they will undisputedly be the winners of the Big Ten East. And they will go on to face probably Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. Even if they get pummeled, they could make it into the top four. And I think they should. At number seven, this is where I have Bama. There is no way they have Bama dropping out of the top ten. And there's no way they have them any lower than a spot where they can't play their way back into the top four. The committee wants to see Bama in the top four. The committee wants to see an LSU-Alabama rematch. The committee 
more than likely still believes Alabama's the best one-loss team in the nation. This is why I have them at seven. Minnesota, probably, even if they run the table, will lose to Ohio State. Oregon could run the table. That is my dark horse to make the college football playoff. Could run the table and be the Pac-12 champion. And then Georgia, I don't see them making it as a two-loss champion. So that last spot, that fourth spot, will probably either go to Oregon or Bama. At number eight, I have Utah. A one-loss Utah team, a solid Utah team. Still don't think they have a chance to make the playoffs, but they are still good enough to be in the top ten. Even with the weak remaining schedule that they have, they probably... We'll still have to go on and play Oregon and probably lose. But should they beat Oregon, they will have a small chance to make it to the college football playoff. And then at number nine, I have undefeated Baylor. They didn't look good against TCU. There's no way that game should have went to double overtime. It's just that that that, that wasn't a good look for that team. It wasn't a good look for either team because that TCU team... Granted, they are very good at home. I will give them a slight benefit of the doubt. That TCU team, I believe this is their first or second loss at home in about two or three years. So I will give them a slight benefit of the doubt, but they just haven't been dominant this season. They just haven't been blowing teams out of the water. So for Baylor, I will give them the benefit of the doubt, put them in the top 10. And then just followed after Baylor, I have one loss, Oklahoma. And it's because they have to play each other next week. Uh, Even though Oklahoma didn't look fantastic, their defense is failing them for the, what is it, the third season in a row now. If Oklahoma had a good defense, they probably would have won a championship by now. But unfortunately, they don't. And since Baylor is undefeated, I will give them a slight edge and put them ranked ahead of Oklahoma. All right, that's it. That's all I've got for you guys. You now have my college football playoff predictions, my reactions and analysis of the Penn State-Minnesota game and the LSU-Bama game. You have everything of that for me. If you got this far, thank you for listening. I appreciate it so much. If you also got this far, please share the podcast. I don't want anything from you. I just want you to get the word out. Allow other people to hear the podcast. Allow other people to appreciate the podcast. I appreciate you for listening this far. And again, this is the Judgment Call Podcast. I have been Miles. And I hope you guys have a great night, great afternoon, or a great morning. Peace out. It's all love. I'll holla at you when I holla at you.